0: for God's Word. We will read together Ephesians chapter 4 starting in 17 all the way through verse 24. Hear now God's Word, for he does indeed speak to us through it. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness and so ends the reading of god's word may he bless it and let's pray together father this is indeed your word and so we do pray that you would speak to us clearly through it would you help me to be clear and bold as i proclaim this gospel message would you give us open ears and open hearts You are gentle, you are kind, you are loving, and you are God. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our culture has, over the past decade or so in particular, uh, had a lot to say about the issue of identity. Our identity as people. Uh, I think it kind of stepped up to a new level when the whole LGBT debate, gay marriage debate began, one message that we heard over and over was, I was born this way, and so therefore, how can you say that it is wrong? How can you tell me that I need to do something different? Uh, So there was this message that our sexual preference is part of our identity. It's part of who we are as people. Uh, then we heard it a little bit later when we, there was talk about t- transgender issues. I identify as, pick this other uh, thing that is uh, different from the way that I was born, uh, as though there is something about my identity that is tied to my gender, and it's something that I can, um, that's inviolable, something that I can't go against. Um, And even, uh, I would say, the conservative church has largely rejected those claims, but even in the church that we find ourselves, we see that debate to a certain extent. There's a debate going on right now about whether it's appropriate to call someone a gay Christian, Uh, that is, someone who is struggling with same-sex attraction and yet claims the name of Christ. Is that an appropriate moniker or title, appropriate identity? Uh, We also saw it with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Anonymous. Hi, I'm Mark. I am an alcoholic. I am defining myself by this sinful tendency that I have. And I don't think that this is a, a purely academic debate for us, my friends, because I think every one of us struggles with this issue of identity. I think if we were to have a conversation for long enough, at some point in the conversation, you would probably say, or you would hear me say, well, that's just the way that I am. Or, this is just the way that I've always been. This is part of my upbringing. This is part of my personality. This is who I am. But friends, when we come to this passage, I think what we see is that our God has um, a lot to say about identity. And as creatures created in the image of God, I think God wants to and demands to be the one who defines what our identity is. And what we see is that our identity is never defined upon what we were or even what we have done. But for us who are in Christ, our identity is this new thing called in Christ. Or Christians is another title. And so what we see is that in, and if we, we think about everything that Paul has said to us in the book of Ephesians about this power that is at work in the church, this power that has caused us to be united to him in his death and resurrection and has made us alive and new creatures, what we see is that in Christ, God has given us the power to put off our old self, so that we must put on this new self in Christ Jesus. So there is a call to the Christian that we must live lives that are in constant change. But not just change, change where we are growing into this new self that has been defined by Christ Jesus. So we'll see this in our passage under three simple headings. There's an exhortation to change. And then there's a reason for change, and then there's a process for change. So it begins with this exhortation. Paul says, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, uh, we're using our English Bibles, and if you're using the ESV like what I just read, it's a little hard to see. But the force of what Paul is saying is, now this I say, and I insist on it in the lord you must no longer walk as the gentiles do you remember that at the beginning of chapter 4 you can take a look at it he says i urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received now he's insisting that we no longer walk as the gentiles do and maybe you're thinking well hold on a second but paul is writing this letter to the ephesian church and the ephesians are gentiles As he said in chapter 2, he said he called out, he's like, you Gentiles. And Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, primarily. So why would he say no longer walk as the Gentiles do? Could they really do anything else than walk as the Gentiles do? And I think we, we ought to see right here in the very first verse, one of the great hopes of the gospel. And that is, there is a heritage that we have with our past. And yet we are something altogether different. We are a new creation. So yes, he is writing to these Gentiles who are Gentiles in that they are, no, they are not Jews. And they were not Jews. And yet they are something altogether different. He's saying the Gentiles walk as a particular way. And you Gentiles can't walk like that. Don't live like that anymore. You now live as though you are in Christ. You must not any longer walk as that particular way. Um, kids, there's there's a lot of things in our in, in God's creation that are beautiful and amazing to see. And uh, one of those things is the process of a caterpillar to become a butterfly. Uh, and when my kids were younger and still homeschooling, we got these butterfly kits. And I don't know if you've ever seen these things. But we in the mail, we got a little package and it had these disgusting little gross, slimy larvae, these caterpillars. And you know how the story goes. We, we took those, we put those in the, into this uh, little kit, and we watched them eat and get grow bigger and bigger. And then one day, they, they crawled up on the side, and they, they formed this little cocoon-like chrysalis. And then we got really excited because we knew what was coming next. And so we'd watch every day in the morning and the afternoon. And then all of a sudden, one day, these butterflies popped out. And they were beautiful and glorious. They were something altogether different. Now, those butterflies had a heritage with their past. They had been these gross, slimy little larvae, but now they are, they're not crawling around in their ugliness and in their you know sliminess. Now they have these beautiful wings and they would fly. And the same thing is true for us as Christians: is that there is a there's a reality that God has known us from before the foundation of the world, before we had done anything good or bad, and yet he pursued us in the midst of our sinfulness. And he accepted us, he loved us as we were, but there's an intentionality that we become transformed into something entirely different. Uh, that there is a new creation, there is a, 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 a new identity where there we share a heritage with our past, but we leave it behind for the thing that is new, and so we ought to see that there we are exhorted for that very purpose. Now, that, now he gives a reason for that, um, that change, and it's profound. He says, he says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity there's this is a, a shortened form of what elder Bell read from Romans chapter 1 which is this process that Paul lays out this progression that's happened which is the fruit of death the fruit of this death that was ours when we were dead in our trespasses and sins this is this is a true of all of us and and notice what the the uh, progression is he says that they uh, there was we shouldn't walk in the futility of their minds so there's a, a futility there's a pointlessness uh, a fruitlessness of the way of life of the unbeliever he says they are it, this comes from a darkened understanding they are darkened in their understanding it's a um, it's a cognitive issue that they're they're failing to see things the way of that they really ought to be. They think they see what is right. Um, Romans 1 had said, claiming to be wise, they became fool- fools and their foolish hearts became darkened. So there's an inability to see things clearly. Um, and this darkened understanding results in a separation from God. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is is in them due to their hardness of heart. So they have no hope in God's promises. They have no claim to those blessings that come only in Christ Jesus. And it comes from this ignorance. This is a willful ignorance. This isn't just not not knowing. This is, I'm denying the truth, Paul says in Romans chapter 1. A denial of that truth. And that is coming as a result of the hardness of heart. And this corruption of mind, this corruption of understanding, this corruption of the things that are plainly seen results in a corruption of life. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, the the body acts. And it says they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So they become so hardened that they're no longer sensitive to the things that are evil that they are practicing. And it says they've given themselves up to sensuality, or another translation might say debauchery. And this would primarily be sexual sins, but it's not limited to that. This is, uh, this is a, a there's a pursuit of, they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's an insatiable desire. It's, uh, it's not just a futility of what they're doing, a pointlessness, but it's also a futility of the pursuit. They never reach what they're hoping for. They're always grasping, always saying, well, maybe if I go one more step, maybe this will give me happiness. This will give me joy. And so it's incredibly destructive because they're alienated from God and there's a futility to it. And so, you know, from one standpoint, you know, we have to stop and think about this, is that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we think about the, the heart of the unbeliever, a lot of times our posture is, I've got to be careful, I don't want to be tainted by the sins of others. And there is a reality that we need to guard our hearts. But when we think about the futility of their pattern of life and the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their eyes, how they just don't see that, and that they will have this insatiable desire that will never be satisfied apart from Christ, we have to have hearts of pity and compassion. And shouldn't that drive our prayers for those who do not know Christ, our prayers for um, and our, our evangelism efforts to share the hope that we have in Christ. And coincidentally, if if you're here today and you are you find yourself pursuing everything but Christ, and you're looking for that satisfaction, that that hope, that that joy, that's going to be that. Com- completing point of your life, that thing that makes you say, aha, this is it, and you haven't known Christ, then let me just encourage you, you're not going to find it apart from Christ. Only Christ is the water, the clear, crisp cup of water that will quench your thirst, and he's the only bread of life that will really satisfy your hunger, and he's the only treasure that is really rewarding, and he's the only lover that will really deliver on each and every one of his promises. Um, but for us who, who do claim Christ, how often do we live, continue to live as those Gentiles, those unbelievers, pursuing those things with the same way? And then Paul turns to us and he says, But that's not the way that you learn Christ. That's not the way that you learn Christ. And that's what Paul has been saying all along. He said, they are darkened in their understanding, but God has given light to your eyes. He has enlightened the eyes of your heart to see the beauty of Christ. They are futile in, uh, they have this foolish, futile pro, uh, progression, but God has given meaning to your life because he has united him yourself to him and to his body, and he is working powerfully within you. That which is pleasing in his sight you were alienated, but he has brought you near by the blood of Christ. So why would you live like that any longer? Why would you live as though everything Christ has done is meaningless? He says, That's not, you must not live that way any longer. So he gives that reason, but then he gives the process. And it's a simple three-step process. Maybe not simple for us to actually do, but it's a simple for us to understand. And he uses the language, kids, of clothing, he says, we must put off the old, we must be renewed, and we must put on the new. Uh, so he starts off and he says, um, he says assuming you, were taught, you heard of Christ and you were taught in him to, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now just a couple of interesting things. So he's He's calling us to be active in putting that old manner of life off. Now, we know that we can't do this on our own, that this is the work of the Holy Spirit to create us in the image of our Savior, but Paul is commanding us to be active in it, to actively put that thing aside. And notice what he says. He doesn't say, now he had said, you know, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. But he doesn't say, you must put off that behavior. What does he say? He says, you must put off your old self. Your old self. So look at how it's talking about this notion of our identity. He's saying, the way you think, your heart inclination, the way you live, the way you speak, everything about you you must set aside the old must go it is a it is a a dirty filthy dead garment like a dead snake skin that needs to be shucked off he's saying it's a filthy garment that you need to rip off and cast aside and notice what he says it's um your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires now that's really Important for us to understand the deceitfulness of these desires. Because I think what happens is our former manner of life is so appealing to us because it is deceitful. We think, oh, I can't live without this. This is part of who I am. I find such joy. What will happen if I let go of this former manner of life? But it's deceitful, he says. It means it's lying. It's not telling you the truth. But where is the truth? It's right there in verse 21. He says, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. Notice he doesn't say in Christ Jesus with that title. He doesn't say the truth is in the Lord Jesus Christ as though associating him with the Godhead. It's just the truth is in Jesus. And I think what he's getting at is that we are... Remember, we have been united to Christ by his spirit in a fundamental way. We're, we are now members of his body, with his spirit dwelling within him. We are his temple. And Jesus is our life, our exemplar, our everything. And so if we are to live as a part of this new identity that we have in Christ, the truth of everything, is Jesus. The man Jesus, his life, his wisdom, his words, his demeanor, his sacrifice, his suffering, everything that we must be is Jesus. And everything that is our hope is contained in what he has done in his life and death and resurrection. And so, All of our thinking needs to be reoriented to the truth, which is in Jesus. Apart from the deceitful desires, to the truth in Jesus. So we're supposed to put that off, and then we're to be renewed. Renewed in the spirit of our minds. And I hope you see that the way that we think, whether we're talking minds or hearts, somewhat synonymous in scripture it 's the inner man that is driving our outward living, and the renewal needs to happen internally, but notice it 's a just as the problem for the Gentile way was ignorance and a lack of knowledge and darkened understanding. we must pursue right understanding, right truth, and we need to be renewed from the spirit of our minds, so that we can, the last step, put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And maybe that phrase, righteousness and holiness, catches your mind, because we were created as people in true righteousness and holiness, but now we are recreated in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So this put off and put on is a process by which God makes us like his perfect son, Jesus Christ, where we are we are united to him, but we are now being recreated in him. We are being conformed to his image in a way that is truly righteous, truly holy, and truly set apart for him. And friends, this is that's the nature of true repentance. We use that term repentance and the stakes are really high. Um, scripture says we must repent and believe and that is how we are saved and repentance when we talk about repentance, repentance is not merely saying I am sorry for the things that I've done sorrow for our sin, sorrow for our our offenses against God, are a necessary necessary part of it. But true repentance involves a putting off, a renewal and a putting on of the new. And we'll see that all throughout the rest of Ephesians. We'll see it over and over again where Paul doesn't just say, stop doing this. It's a stop doing this and start doing what you were called to do. Stop this wickedness and start living with righteousness. And that's, that is true repentance. Um, and recognize the foundational nature of humility in all this. We talked at the beginning of chapter 4 when Paul was saying um, that we must walk uh, with all humility and how humility is a fundamental foundational aspect of the Christian life. He doesn't say it explicitly here, but understand that humility is so critical to true repentance Because you have to be humble enough to accept that there is a truth that is beyond your grasp that you must submit to and you have to recognize that you are in a failure to comply against God's law and that you are wrong and need to change. And you need to have the humility to recognize that God's remedy is the only remedy that will satisfy you, which is repentance in the name of Jesus Christ and walking in the newness of life that he provides by his spirit. And so humility is fundamental to this process and necessary. And recognize that it's the whole self. It's not just trying to clean up your, your behavior in front of other people. It's from the inside out. It's a correct understanding and a correct heart attitude, first and foremost, to the Almighty God, now united to Christ and lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit in and amongst uh, the world and in and amongst the the church. So, um, just as we reflect on the passage, I just want to kind of walk through just a few uh, objections that we might have. Uh, if if the, the premise is that we must change, that we are um, in need of change, uh, just a few things that we might say in objection to it. Uh, the first is, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we don't really need to change. Maybe, maybe things are just good, may, good enough. Maybe we can just kind of patch things up. And to that, I would start by saying, look at what Paul says in verse 17, where he says, I insist on it. Almost, I demand that you do it. You must no longer live that way. You must be entirely different in your way of life. And I don't know if Paul had this in his mind when he wrote this, but perhaps he had Psalm 7 in mind, which says this, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. The way of our past is not a path of godliness. And if it's not a path of godliness, then it is in opposition to our God, and God feels that indignation. And the reality is the Lord Jesus Christ came to bring glory to his Father. And he came to bring glory to his Father in Some part by taking those offenders and making them whole and holy and righteous. And so there's an insistence and an intentionality that we must be different. We must set aside the old self and we must live in accordance with the new self. God delights in his son and when we are in his son and living in accordance with his son, he takes pleasure and delight and glory and for those who do not, he wets his sword, he bones his bow, he has arrows reserved. It is uh, essential. Um, and the truth is, in, and it's important for us to realize that this is in Christ, that Christ is the standard. We cannot live as though, um, well, I'm good enough. I don't really need to change. I've, I've met a subjective standard in my own mind, or I'm certainly better than some other people. The standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a constant life of change, a constant life of putting aside, that asking God by His Spirit to reveal those ways where you're still living or thinking in accordance with the old self and now living uh, by the new self. We need to move away from the normal life to something that is distinctly in Christ. Um. Another objection we might have is, well, I just don't really want to, don't really want to change. There's parts of who I am that I like. And I'm terrified of what that might mean if I let that go. There's a, I love my biting sarcasm. I love my, the control that my anger gives me. I love the, the, the taste of the gossip I fear how my kids will act if I take a harder stance with them. I am afraid of that I'll lose grips on the stats of my sports team if I stop focusing so much on every single game each week. I don't know what it is, but there's a part of us that we just don't want to let go of. There's a There's a deceitfulness of our sin that pulls at our heartstrings and doesn't want to let go and there's realize that there's also a part of us that is resistant because we just don't want it in our sunday school class we were talking about the doctrine of god and we were talking about how god defines himself as i am he is infinite eternal and unchangeable and we are created in god's image but we are not unchangeable In fact, we are called to change. But there is a part of us that in our sin wants to say, I am, and I'm not going to change because this is who I am and you need to accept it for who it is. And God says, I love you, but this is destructive. What you need to be is in Christ. And you need to put aside who you are and put on Christ because that is where um, true hope and joy and completion is there's nothing in there's nothing in the old man that you are clinging to that is better than what God offers to us in his son Jesus Christ there's nothing you can pursue after it all you want you will be unsatisfied you will find it unsatisfying Um, maybe maybe you're saying well I understand I need to change but I don't really know how to change uh to that I would say um There's a few things that we can see from this passage. If the part of the problem is a darkened understanding, obviously we need to run to God's word to give us true understanding. Scripture ought to be our guide. It is where we receive true knowledge and understanding in Jesus Christ. God's word is a double-edged sword. We need to let it be a double-edged sword. We need to let it to pierce our soul and to convict us of where we are living in accordance with the old man and must put on Christ. But... It needs to be not just a knowledge that puffs us up with facts, but it's a knowledge that drives us to repentance, a knowledge that um, drives us to prayer, to say, Father, forgive me, because I've been living like this, and you call me to something else. Forgive me of that. Help me now to walk by the power of your Spirit in the newness of life that you have given me in Jesus Christ, that I might feel that joy. This is this is the, the the fruit of what Christ has done in the church. He has wrought that power um, and we must live in accordance with it. Um, and when We'll see that throughout the the rest of the book of Ephesians, this this call to put off and put on. Uh, It should also drive us to prayer, uh, just like I mentioned. We ought to be praying that the Lord would give us eyes to see. If we are darkened in our understanding, if we don't see it, then we need the, as Paul prayed at the very beginning of the book of Ephesians, the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened to see that hope to which he's called us, but also to see where we are still in error. We ought to be praying that for our spouses and for our kids and for our brothers and sisters in the church, that we might have eyes to see and have the strength by the power of the Spirit to walk in this newness of life. And to that point, we ought to understand that this Putting off and putting on happens in the context of community. If you remember Matthew chapter 18, it talks about how to how we ought to behave in the church if somebody were to sin against us in the church. When it says that we are to go to them and. Um, uh, Mention their sin, and if that doesn't win them over, we're to bring two or three others, and if that doesn't work, then we're supposed to tell it to the church, and the church is supposed to speak to them, and if that doesn't work, then we're supposed to treat them like an unbeliever or a gentile. And do you Do you see what's going on in that picture? Is that God in His grace is using the church to speak and say, "You're living in accordance with the old man." The old man brings conflict. The old man divides. The old man brings hurt and does not bring peace. The new man brings peace and heals wounds and brings unity, the unity that we're called to. So let me ask you, are you listening? Are you listening to your brothers and sisters as they speak to you? Are you listening to your kids when they wince, when you are harsh with them? Are you listening uh, to the expressions that you get? Do you know the things that you need to put aside or are you clinging to them? Let me encourage you to let those go and to put on Christ. And uh, the last, thing, last objection is, well, I really want to change, but I just don't. And I've been trying to change, but I just am not able to change. I just, I just, these sins weigh me down and I feel like I'm just in chains to them. And to that, I would just encourage you by saying you're in good company. The Apostle Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. I, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I do want to do. But praise God that you have that desire to let those things go. God sent his son and works his spirit in his church with that power to redeem us and to sanctify us into the image of his son. He will do it. It is a surety. But realize that change is slow. And change is hard. And our we have sins that so easily entangle us. And so let us pray for one another, let us encourage one another as long as it is today. Our friends, um, your God loves you with this strong love that spanned from eternity past, knowing before you, before you'd done anything good or bad, and he but he had a purpose to make you something far greater than you are even now. He purposed to unite you to his son and that he might work his glory and his grace even through you with joy and delight. And so let's put off the old man and put on Christ that we might feel his pleasure and we might glorify him in the midst of this world. Let's pray together. Lord. thank you that you do indeed love us. Thank you that you speak to us and you remind us that even though this is your work. You call us to be active in it, that we might align our desires with your desires. We do pray that you would be gentle as you reveal these things to us, that you would help us to be diligent, um, making the most of the power that is at work within us. Help us to rely on your strength for these things, and may we give you all the glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.